Welcome to our podcast, Hey David, where Grandpa Rod talks about life and attitudes, hope and success. Each week, he raises a new topic for David to consider. We hope it speaks to you too. We also hope you'll invite your friends to listen and that you'll share your comments with us. Here is Rod with today's topic. Hi, I'm Rod MacArthur, David's grandpa and narrator of the Hey David podcasts. Thanks for listening. I want David to have the best grandfatherly counsel I can give. It could be that you'll gain some light pointers too. Welcome. Today, I'm going to talk with David about the Bible. Did you know that most people who reject the Bible don't really know what it is? That's like turning down a pot of gold because someone else said the old pot was worthless. I tell you, there's gold inside. It's worth looking into. Hey, David, it's Grandpa. What do you know about the Bible? I am deeply saddened knowing that so many people dismiss the Bible without knowing what a treasure it really is. I know how amazing it is. I wish they knew it, too. The failure to think honestly and critically has deprived so many of your generation of the wealth of guidance it offers. Dismissing the Bible is like going on a long cross-country car trip without your GPS. My good friend, a former manager of big box stores, was very successful both at work and especially in his family life. He went into retail about the same time he started taking the Bible seriously, just before turning 30. His people skills became so good, and his insight into the ethics of working together became so keenly refined that he was ultimately promoted to the status of go-to manager to be assigned to whichever of their big box stores was in trouble. He moved around a lot. Generally, he would have the store turned around and amazingly profitable inside a year. Sometimes it was by the first quarter. Frequently, he would counsel his managers, assistant managers, and employees. While talking with them, he would preface his advice this way, quote, There's this book I've been reading, end quote. Without mentioning the Bible, he would share its wisdom in practical ways. He consistently had the lowest employee turnover in the entire national chain. His employees were fortunate to have his leadership. He learned his amazing skill at managing people, often as many as 400 employees, by regularly reading his Bible. That's not only an amazing story, but it's also true. When he retired, he was known as the legend. My point is, there's a lot of practical decision-making advice to be found in the Bible. America seems to have an unusual fixation on the Bible, but not always a healthy one. The Barna Group is a visionary research and resource company. It focuses on the intersection of faith and culture. In a 2013 survey, it found that 88% of Americans own a Bible. I am encouraged to know that 79% of your peers own a Bible, though I wish it were higher. Interestingly, 56% of adults think the Bible exerts too little influence on our culture, while only 13% think it has too much. However, 
not everyone attributes the same purpose to the Bible. Here, the unhealthy fixation becomes obvious. Some people treat it like a book of cool quotes or a place to find tattoos. Others insist that it be banned from schools and would love to see it gone from public life. Still others think it's a good source of moral and ethical information. But there's a small minority who see the Bible as a message from a loving father guiding them through life, inviting them into relationship with him, and providing counsel and insight into all decision-making. I am in this group. We look for God's wisdom on dealing with sickness and death, dating and relationships, even about parenting. When my best friend died in 1986, I grieved deeply. I found comfort in the Psalms. They helped ease my heartache. Many practical usages emerge from God's Word. I'll share some next week. This last concept, that the Bible offers life skills, is in fact what it says of itself. Peter once said that God has provided us with all things that pertain to life and godliness. Focus on the term, all things. The Bible asserts that it is a sufficient, universal, broad-spectrum, and complete guide to human life. That's quite a claim. If it's true, it's an amazing book. If it isn't true, the book must be a fraud. I don't see any middle ground, do you? Unfortunately, Barna detected a downward trend in Bible acceptance. In 2011, 53% of adults said, quote, the Bible contains everything a person needs to live a meaningful life, end quote. By 2013, that percentage had dipped to 47%, an alarmingly rapid decline in just two years. If they only knew the treasures it holds, I wish everyone could see it. This reminds me of a story. One day, Jesus was talking with a woman at a well in Samaria, a province just north of Jerusalem. As they conversed, he said to her, quote, if you knew the gift of God, end quote. There was Jesus talking to this woman, and she was completely oblivious to him, at who he was, and what he had to offer. All she wanted was water for her family. What he offered was significantly more valuable than a sip of water, but she didn't know that. That's why he prefaced his comments with, If you knew. This causes me to wonder, David, how many people actually know what they have in their hands when they hold a Bible. So, what do you have in your hand when you hold a Bible? It's certainly a lot more than ink and paper. It's not just a bunch of letters and words and sentences and verses and paragraphs and chapters. I wonder how many men have died to make sure that this collection of writings would come down to you. What was so special about this book that men would give up their time, give up their fortunes, give up their lives to make sure you could have a copy of it? Here are some special things that have impressed me about the Bible. For now, forget the message of the Bible. Only consider that it exists 
and that you can hold it in your hands. I could say many marvelous things about the Bible, like, quote, it's the most in-demand book in the world, end quote, and I'd be right. I could say that it has been translated into more languages than any other book, and again, I'd be right. By the way, it's also the world's most shoplifted book. Which reminds me of a friend I met in Spokane, Washington, shortly after your father was born. When I met him, Rudy was a young father, like me, and full of passion for the Bible. One day he confided in me, quote, I got my first Bible by stealing it from a parked car, end quote. How's that for irony? But catch the power of the story. The man was a thief. He stole once. He would steal again. He probably had already stolen, though I don't know. But the book he stole so worked on his heart that he never stole again. The last I heard, he was still teaching the good news. Something about this book staggers the imagination. It's a simple little book composed of 66 distinct writings. Shall we call them books within a book? It's just a simple book, and yet there's no earthly way to account for its existence. Why do we even have the Bible? It's staggering, especially when you consider how unlikely it is. What would happen, for example, if we set about to gather essays of past writers on any topic of focus and interest today? Further, what if these writers were from various continents? Could we expect them to have written with any modicum of agreement with each other? Especially if they were barred from communicating with each other. What if we asked current writers to submit essays on the same topic, independent of each other? What level of agreement might we expect to find in their writings? What if we collected existing essays from long-deceased writers on this subject? What would we expect to find? Would we find consistency and agreement? Or would we find discontinuity, divergence, and even extreme levels of disagreement? I think we know the answer to all these questions. It can be summed up in one short saying. There would be high levels of divergent, disagreement, and even radical contradiction. It's the exact opposite of the Bible. I ask these questions because when we consider the Bible, this illustrates the reality of its gradual emergence. I wonder how many people know that the Bible was not written at one time by one person in one language and at one place. I wonder how many people know that. The facts are, your Bible was written over a span of nearly 1,600 years. That's almost two millennia. It was written by at least 40 different authors, most of whom had no connection with their fellow writers. Some of them lived at the same time, very few, but most of them lived in different decades or centuries or even millennia than their co-authors. More than that, this book was written on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Did you know that? Additionally, the Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Sometimes one writer would be in Jerusalem, for example, and another writer would be in Babylon. I'm talking here about Jeremiah, 
and Ezekiel or Daniel, for example. They wrote at the same time. How is it that they kept from contradicting each other even once? They had no cross-communication. How is it that they kept from contradicting each other even once? How is it that their message was so consistent? They didn't have Twitter or Instagram or even Facebook. They had no way to communicate with each other while they were writing simultaneously. Yet their writings are beautifully consistent, never contradicting each other, and they independently co-developed the identical theme. How did that happen? One singular theme stretches through the Bible's centuries, like a golden thread connecting its pearls into a beautiful necklace. It's an unmistakable organic unity. That theme is the coming of one who would rescue us from our failures. How could all these authors, over so long a span of time, speak so seamlessly and consistently tell the same story? With every ounce of logic we can muster, we admit, quote, this is not humanly possible, end quote. Yet, there it is. The Bible stands as the world's most amazing book, begging us to look inside and take it seriously. David, I don't know why people reject the Bible out of hand. They do themselves a deep disservice when they do. If I had my wish, everyone would at least investigate to see whether or not it has value. That's all I can ask. Give it an honest look, then decide whether to accept it or not. There is so much at stake, it deserves to be taken seriously. You ought to take it seriously. Look at the word investigate. It starts with invest. That's what one does when he purposely explores the Bible. He is investing in himself and in his future. There is more to say, but it can wait till next week. I love you, David. Thanks for listening. If you've got something worth holding on to from this blurb, come back next Monday. I want to talk with David about the Bible some more. Instead of being a book of rules for Christians, it has answers. Did you know that any relationship question you might have is answered in the Bible? See you next week. Thank you for listening to Hey David. If you have thoughts, comments, or questions, please send them to rod underscore MacArthur at comcast.net. Rod will get back to you. Also, check out the church's website, www.churchofauburnwa.com. You'll discover a ton of information. You may especially enjoy the page Blurbs from Rod. Until Until next Monday, Monday, have have a a joy-filled week. week.